0: Greetings, friends. It's Chapo. Monday, January thirty first, twenty twenty two. In just a little bit, I will be talking again with I think now one of our one of our all time leading champion return guests, uh, lawyer Stephen Donzinger. He's out of prison but still on house arrest. Uh, I talked to him about his uh, forty five days in Danbury Prison in Connecticut. Uh, interesting chat. Um, but before we before we get to the the first half of the show and the interview, time for a little tour plugs. That's right. Our Southern tour coming up. If you don't know by now, here's a reminder. Uh, We're hitting the South. Charlotte, Atlanta, Nashville, Austin, Dallas, Houston, and New Orleans. Tickets available on ChapoTrapHouse.com slash live. A little little, uh, uh, inducement here. Uh, Was it the Trillbilly Boys will be joining us in Nashville? Yep. The Pendejo Time Gang will be joining us in Texas. And um, in Atlanta, I will hopefully be reconnecting with my biological family.
1: uh, Should you, the listeners, do your job? Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to track them down. Uh, We're going to get to Austin. Austin will be normalized. Yeah,
2: you guys better get your weirdness in while you can, because
1: that shit is gone as soon as we get there. If you are weird in my presence in Austin city limits, you will get gunned down. We will be compromising all weirdos. Yeah, you are going to, there's no no hospital. You're going straight to the fucking morgue. And I will be legally in the right. Governor Greg Abbott has lethally authorized us to kinetically enforce normal Austin. There's no fucking weirdness. There's no uh, devil sticks. There's no unicycles. (laughs) There's no bar with beanbag chairs. Get that fucking weird shit out of there or you will be taking a dirt nap. That that is on God. It's going to be fun. So uh, we'd love to we'd love for you to come see you, and you see us when
0: we're in the south. So without further ado, let's uh, start the show. I guess I'd like to uh, begin today's show with um, uh, this important factoid that I learned this morning, courtesy of Drift Magazine. Uh, okay. Last year's hot new releases by sure. Lauren Orler, Clara Sistanovich, and <laughs> Sally Rooney all feature a love interest <laughs> named Felix, and no one will say why. Um. See, I knew about the Lauren Euler thing. I was not a, I was not aware of Sally Rooney and the the other book. But the the hot new fiction in the world today, written by women. All feature a love interest named Felix. Now, why do you think that is?
1: I've never, I've never been with a woman who's written a book or read a book. Most of the women I'm with, yeah, I've never read a book. Most of the women I'm with can barely read.
2: Yeah, not because they're young. No, not for that reason. <laughs> they're just, um,
1: they have a astigmatism that they won't get fixed. This is the problem? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what point they're trying to make here. Um, they're sort of. I didn't read the full article. I was looking for the article, but it was like five minutes before the show. Um, I don't know. I think they're saying it's a bad thing. I think they're <laughs> like, this guy is fucking all the book ladies, and I'm not.
2: <laughs> he is the I know. I know, I know. Of the literary
1: scene. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> I I know one of the women who wrote these books. You know, we all know Lauren. Lauren's a great writer. I've like, yeah, no, she's, she would not do that. Um, Everyone else never met them. Sally Uh, Rooney. Sally Rooney. She's Irish. So she's probably lying. Yeah, she's lying. Um, She's also a nepotism case. She got into books because she's uh, has a famous dad, Mickey Rooney. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, no, no respect for what she's writing. Yeah,
0: you know. uh, it uh, it goes on to like the, the little clip says uh comparing uh, the 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 love interest uh, named felix she, uh, it, it says it's the kind of convergence that nags at you like learning that 99 percent of exported bananas are genetically identical one fungus could wipe out the whole crop I, I, like i don't really get what, what's what's
1: what, like what, what's that mean i think she means like or i, I don't know who wrote this article but um the author may mean, like, if my dick fell off, it'd be like, oh, no more books. <laughs> but that, like, no, like, my dick could fall off and it would be fine because they would keep naming these characters Felix, these w- women I've never met, by the way. I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what they're saying. Everyone in my family is incredibly upset with me, not because of this, <laughs> but because I, I I posted it and I did that tongue clover thing an accompanying picture that everyone hates. Uh, Listeners, uh, Felix is being
0: self-effacing and bashful as usual, but my man is getting more pussy than Gore Vidal. He's slaying the the literary scene. (laughs)
2: um, Joyce Carol Oates is going to be writing a book about (laughs) (laughs) a big dick player named Felix any day now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think it's just like that name. um, People saw me and they're like, wow, what a name. People are going to remember that one better, better, better put that in my book. Better put that in my, in my dime novel that's being sold at the pharmacy, except for, except for Lauren Euler. Um, the only author I can vouch for, uh, no offense to Sally Rooney or the other person, uh, have not read their books, but um, I'm assuming it is, you know, it's like a uh, Walgreens fiction. The other ones, they're like romance novels. They're like, um, you know, about a about a meek woman who meets a European prince, and he has my name. I mean, I
0: I just I, I hope the banana fungus doesn't wipe out all the Felixes in the world. Uh, Terrible I, if that I, happened. It's just I don't
1: want to I don't want I don't want to think about that right now. Uh, I try I tried like going to their website to find out what article this would be under, and I have like. Holy shit, I read more article, more long articles than I've probably read in like 10 years. I don't like I I couldn't find this article, but like holy fuck, I know a lot about like the personal essay now. I think it, it it pushed out the names of like 50 MMA fighters I knew who never even made it to the UFC and like uh people who won Counter-Strike majors. It pushed out all the important things I know and it replaced it with this literary knowledge and I'm really not happy about it. Well,
0: okay, uh, literature, censorship, big topics. What do y'all think about the graphic novel Mouse being banned from Tennessee schools? First question, have you guys read Mouse? Yeah, long
1: time ago. Really long time ago. Uh, well, no, I, I never read say, it. it. Seemed boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, you were like, why is this comic all about the bad guys? <laughs> How come we never see these brave cats? Yeah,
0: I've know. I read Mouse in school. And I got to say, I stand with Tennessee for banning this book. I think all serious graphic novels should be banned. Yeah, get out of here. It's jo- for kids.
2: Jo- like, you can, I think you, adult graphic novels, that's how you get every movie being Marvel trauma-based entertainment. Oh, yeah. You convince people that comic books are for adults and then it's like, well that means
1: movies based on comic books can be adult movies and that's all wrong. That's a lie. I you don't like a like serious graphic novel? You don't like it when um you know, the plot's something like uh, you know, Satan is a guy and he has a human daughter for some reason and she's a professional hitman, but she's <laughs> addicted to pills and she has to do like one last big job so she can pay for tuition for art school. And the guy assigning her the job is, like, a big, bald, fat guy. And there's, like, this really good scene where he lights a $100 bill on fire to light a cigar. And then he, you know, sort of mockingly recites the Pledge of Allegiance. And then she, she makes a fist and her really long nails sort of, like, it's a really good scene where the blood, like, drips out of her fist. and She's like, all right, I'll do this job. And then she closes the door and she leaves. And the Pledge of Allegiance cigar guy says something like, She's got an ass that won't quit. Too bad it's gonna be in the ground. <laughs> and then there's a whole, there's like if this is like a Neil Gamer, uh, graphic novel. There's like 700 pages arguing about free will. <laughs> Satan. Yeah, no that that actually sounds good. Never mind, I
0: take it all back. Yeah, I want to read
1: that. Yeah, it's good.
0: I, I was thinking of Joe Sacco's Palestine, but this this graphic novel sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, it's my graphic novel. It's called <laughs> Daughters. <laughs> Well, I just uh I was reading about the uh the Tennessee school board decision in Mouse and I was uh I liked it cuz like the the complaints from parents so they were like you know like it's you know it's like a good serious book but like you know the nudity there's there's no cause for that the nudity and the cursing and I you know I remember I remember Mouse uh the nudity is when people are being um filed into a gas chamber it's not <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly yeah. the most uh, this is titillating. Getting me too riled uh, presenta- up here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I wasn't. Yeah. yeah, I hated those hot shower scenes. Was <laughs> <laughs> this dress to kill? <laughs> I like. A, it is funny that like every school that like bans a book like Mouse for nudity, there, it's also the exact same school where it's like, oh, every every night we have a night called Jubilation Night where. All the sophomores get naked and uh <laughs> <laughs> like play patty cake with the oldest teachers. Wasn't school, it actually tradition. in Tennessee
2: where that happened recently where they where they had the, the, the like the football team dress up
1: like girls and like do uh do lap dances for the for the teachers? Yeah, no. They're like they're like we're we're not having any of this filth in school. Anyway, tonight we're having our special tradition where we Put a key in the asshole of the gym teacher, and the quarterback <laughs> has to pull it out and open a lock Oh, I'm sorry, and a no, bunch of Poppers Kentucky are here. hidden
2: uh, literally right next door. Yeah. Tennis. Well, they're all they all
1: do that though.
2: They do. No, it's a fine Southern tradition. Yeah. Pussy popping with the principal.
1: Yeah. Everyone remembers being in high school, and if you were the kicker on the football team, it was tradition that you get slutted out by the booster club.
0: <laughs> I just, I mean, there's, uh, I just. There is no cause to teach to, is there, there must be a way to teach about the Holocaust without all the smut and sexiness. Yeah. Uh, later this evening I will be in, uh, I will be presenting my daughter at the veiled
1: prophetess gala <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah we're um, it, this is just too too gross, too extreme. anyway, we're making a, we're making a sort of like jungle juice type punch using blood from my daughter's first tampon. <laughs> we've done for hundreds of years it's tradition
0: Tennessee. uh we should probably uh probably split this episode uh you know it's great that the Don's anyway yeah Stephen donsiger is, Don's back, is. <laughs> 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 all right yeah, well i'm sorry no it's okay um yeah so uh yeah and also art spiegelman cats are not nazis okay i'm sick of it this is this is this slander will not stand all right and Poles are not pigs either. French, not frogs. Offensive.
1: Get it out of our schools. Uh, you know, in 2017, when I was like saying every day I'm punching Nazis, that's what that's what I meant. <laughs> 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 just like just kicking cats, entire city blocks, <laughs> just punting them because of mouse. Uh, Still think that fiction can affect you? <laughs> well, I. Uh,
0: Here's another uh, uh, pseudo pseudo censorship related uh, hot topic this week: uh, Neil Young versus Joe Rogan and Spotify. Where do you guys come down on this one? Will you be searching for a heart of gold, or Joe o- Joe
1: Rogan's ropey and old guests? Sorry, that one was right <laughs> up, that was Okay, right okay, okay. okay, 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 okay hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, are you gonna be an old man who's a uh, young man's a lot like you? Or are you going to listen to the words of a very short Jew when (laughs) Joe Rogan has Ben Shapiro on? We can do better than that. Uh, Okay. Are you going to enjoy Neil Young's harvest? Or are you going to go, hey, Jordan Peterson, that's a dope vest? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. That's the one. Uh,
0: Yeah. Uh, 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 Joni Mitchell has joined with Neil Young. So this is like a real boomer. That's, versus that Gen one is X very moment. funny because
2: Joni Mitchell also claims that she has more gelons. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. That's a true fact. He's like, Joe Rogan is spreading anti-science misinformation. By the way, I have uh,
1: plastic tendrils growing out of my body. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, uh, I, you know, respect to them for taking a stand, you know, always. I, I'm against, like, taking any podcast off, if, like, anything, unless yeah. it's, like, <laughs> yeah. You need to really, you
2: Get to yeah. tugging the collar if that starts being a thing. Uh, also, what I don't really get is, do people not know that Rogan, by going to Spotify, like, cut his au- his uh, audience in half or something like that? Because, you know, you got it's a fucking paywall. Like, he's lost listeners since going to Spotify. So if you kick him off Spotify... He will just end up having more people listening to the show. Like it really does seem like people, they have no idea what to do. It's like, yeah, no one could join the fucking club. But what we have, what we have experienced doing is complaining to the manager and hoping that some customer service representative can make a choice for us and and exercise authority that we can't, and that will make things better. Yeah. yeah just, uh- no,
0: I mean, it's just, like, uh, just my, my attitude is, like, purely from a pragmatic point of view, if you, like, are, you know, concerned about, like, oh, there's a medical misinformation being spread out there. I just think at this point, like, uh, any appearance of, like, you know, censorship or, like, these reprimands or whatever of of of, of someone like Joe Rogan or for his audience is only going to, like, uh, a double lead to a doubling down on the very thing that you're seeking to uh, combat. Like, at this point, like, it's just sort of like... Uh, I don't know. Try reverse psychology or something
1: like that. Yeah, you go know, like- go on, Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, but I, um, I, it's I like a- it's just like where do you draw the line with Spotify too? That's the weird thing too, right? Because it's like okay, if we take like Joe Rogan off because he has that like beard crank, uh, the RNA guy who's like now just working for the Pfizer of India to like make the same thing, um, it's like okay, well. I can go on Spotify every day, and I do, and I listen to a guy who, like, probably killed at least five people. Like, I, I can listen to that guy. He's, like, a very popular rapper. He's, he's no longer with us, but he's on there. Do we, like, take him off? Because, you know, you can you can point that he legitimately harmed people. I can listen to fucking Varg on there. I can listen to... I, there's all types of shit I can listen to on there. And I guess it is different. The you know, Joe Rogan got this very lucrative deal, but that more goes to, like, the stupid ways that podcasts do business with Spotify, where Spotify could just take our public RSS feeds and we don't get paid royalties because there's, like, no restrictions on
0: it. Yeah, that. I was going to say, Rogan's probably the only uh, content creator of any
1: variety that's actually making money from Spotify. yeah. Well, it, you like they don't pay us. Like, there's just yeah. they, 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 like they have no reason to pay us because these are just public RSS feeds. And unless, like, every podcast like us that got like you know a certain number of downloads a month was like, we're withholding these until like you know we have some RIAA type organization where you pay us a licensing fee. Though I think it should be like more like TV with like ad packages. This is really fucking boring. But like uh, I I'm, I'm I'm sorry, but like it, it, like it yeah, it is different because yeah, they gave him like 100 million dollars. But if the if your thing is like I we want to take him off, like where do you draw the line and what gets taken off? I'm just I'm against anything like that getting taken off. I'm sorry. But also I think like, his anti-vax shit is stupid, but yeah.
2: But like also, where do you draw the line? There is no you, like nobody's in charge of this. Like the hope is that you just send enough complaints that somebody's like we hear you we respect you and then and then we do something about it and and the hope is that that process that machinery of just I guess using hashtags to get people riled enough enough to send enough angry texts or emails to and that that feedback mechanism will somehow uh like guide us towards uh like ideal policy. When it's just the uncoordinated anxiety of people who are totally understandably frustrated with how things are, but who otherwise have no coordination at all beyond just what they see in front of them and their, their uh, reaction to it. Uh, And that, that we just are like the best hope for a lot of people seem to have is that, is that that totally um, unorganized anxiety coupled with the mechanisms of social media can somehow be herded towards uh, good changes in policy, even though getting rid of Joe Rogan doesn't do anything about the fundamental breach in public trust that makes people be suspicious of vaccines that you cannot fix by chain, by removing somebody from a streaming platform.
1: Yeah. And the only consequence it would actually have is like, yeah, Joe, as you said, Joe Rogan's off Spotify. He goes back to YouTube and like all these platforms. He starts, he starts, like making ad revenue on YouTube again because yeah, he's releasing these like four hour long videos. gets million that get millions of views and can run ads during them and like have ad reads embedded into the show. Um, and then conservatives like, because they get riled up by this are like, Oh, we want to take off. Like, I don't know, name something. It could be anything from like a liberal podcast where they're like, uh, I, I don't know we're gonna uh we're, we're gonna we're gonna prostitute out Matt gates I, <laughs> I don't know if that exists but something like that or they're like yeah they 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 take my example and they're like, well King Vaughn like killed all these people why why can't we get take him taken off and then they have to do that because like the culture shifts in a way where they're more powerful and then it'll just be the day like more and more things get taken off, but n- none of the fundamental causes still change. Like people are still not getting the vaccine for reasons that Matt, uh, elucidated or like, there's still like awful fucking unfathomable violence in the South side of Chicago. It just, but you, we were able to yell at the guy who's in charge of Spotify and they were like scared enough because of the cultural moment that they, they acquiesced.
0: Well, speaking of, uh, unorganized anxiety i mean like uh, uh the, the the rogan the rogan kerfuffle this week did um sort of resuscitate and i'm sort of do this to bring it back to like uh chopo circa 2020 but it just the, it, it led to like a, a a renewal of the the old debate over like uh can we say now that uh bernie going on rogan was a bad look or, <laughs> or, or, or like a uh, bernie platforming rogan or like any any, any of this bullshit and i'm um, Sorry to indulge in this again, but it's like, um, did you learn anything over the last two years? No, because if you actually all?
2: absorbed the lessons of the last two years, it's too terrifying to contemplate, which is that all this stuff that us included spent so much time fixating on ended up being totally extraneous to the process and irrelevant. And it's that confrontation of irrelevancy that is just too horrifying to contemplate. People would much rather continue, just go basically memento themselves back to 2017 and have the same arguments over and over again and agonize over the same uh, position uh, from the same imagined position of like influence within the political system, then accept a the premise that the implications of which fundamentally undermine uh their entire approach to politics and culture and everything else because there's nothing to replace it uh
0: me taking a polaroid of joe rogan and then writing on the back of it don't platform his lies
1: (laughs) yeah no it is that like depressed me so I, i there is like a field of things that depressed me in that way not because like with the joe rogan thing that i find it like particularly like I do find it like offensively stupid, but that's not the reason it depresses me. It depresses me for the same reason that I see people like still post polls or like Medicare for all is still really popular. Yeah. And I go, how could you have lived through the last two years and been like, okay, that's like the be all and end all. Yeah. Joe Rogan's bad. What's your fucking point? Uh, Medicare for all is like popular in these polls he showed. Uh, All the people that you that are in those polls supporting Medicare for all, they fucking voted for Joe Biden because it's a issue polls are fucking worthless. And these people do not live in the same world of priorities or processing events or reading the same shit that you do. You are in an entirely different worlds with Joe Rogan. It's like, I mean, yeah, he's like he says bad shit. And he has like stupid people on and he says dumb fucking shit about the vaccine. But like, what? How is that? I, yeah, again, I hate to have this 2020 argument again, but like, A, how is that worse than any candidate going on CNN and talking to Wolf Blitzer, who is a fucking spokesman for APAC, and like might as well still be? And B, like, what? So like, he would have won if he didn't go on Joe Rogan. I mean, like it, it's, a, it, it's it's like a cargo cult thing now where it's like, OK, he went on Joe Rogan and he lost. So he shouldn't have gone on Joe Rogan. OK, exactly. And it's just like it. it the, the lesson here is like it wouldn't have
0: fucking mattered one way or another. We all saw what fucking happened. But in the moment at the time, there was good reason to believe that going on Rogan was a smart fucking move. I mean, like it like, you know, like as part of a broader strategy, that strategy didn't work.
2: But him certainly him. Uh, denouncing joe rogan wouldn't have fucking worked either yeah because yeah. that is that the assumption behind that is that the problem is there was not a perfectly calibrated perfectly purified non-problematic uh a messaging that was totally uh, amenable to uh the most v- sensitive fraction of like the online left and that if that had been articulated, it would have somehow won. Uh, and that assumes that the opinions expressed on the internet that people interact with and that make their make them understand like what the political lines are uh, are dispositive beyond that place. Like that, that they influence the actual people who have to vote in these things. I mean, the real the real bet of Bernie was that. There are people who have lost, who have uh, been dropped out of politics, have, have uh, stopped paying attention to it because of its failure to address any of their real concerns, who could be brought back in. And if they can, it I think is pretty definitively shown it cannot be through the normal process of political uh, engagement that you get through a media campaign. And if the media campaign can't reach the people who need to be reached, to overwhelm the vast majority of Democratic voters who have first and foremost committed themselves to the Democratic Party as a project, uh, then the discrete opinions of uh, people online obviously have nothing to do with anything because those opinions are just being put out into an ether that is totally invisible to uh, the actual uh, center mass of a necessary uh voters or would be voters or hypothetical voters uh that would need to be engaged and just simply are not
1: it is a completely pointless exercise and a uniquely damaging exercise to tailor your fucking national presidential campaign to these ephemeral things on twitter like if you were starting a your exploratory committee in secret in like 2017 or some shit and you were like, I'm just going with, what, with what's popular on Twitter. Your only policy would be like, I'm drafting 100,000 people to go to Portland to fight Proud Boys. And then two years later, that's not as big of a thing. And you you just get into whatever the thing is then. I mean, we we saw this in practice with the fucking Elizabeth Warren campaign. She was hyper-reactive to everything that was big on of space on Twitter. It didn't fucking matter. It did not fucking matter at all. You know why? Because all the fucking, all the overwhelming force, the overwhelming force in the hinge point state of South Carolina, these like white hogs that like flooded the primary, that it, it, it was a disproportionately like white electorate in South Carolina compared to other years that elected Joe Biden by this fucking landslide there. uh, Do you you think they they saw the Rogan thing and they're like, oh, he's kind of gross. Oh, I really don't (laughs) like Sam Tripoli. I think it just has to be Biden. You know, I was really for Medicare for all. And I was, I was really, I I really wanted to end these foreign wars and all this, but it's just like, Joe Rogan. I think I have to go. I have to go for the racial jungle guy. (laughs) What the fuck? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is just, this is like, I'm not going to use the word cope. I hate that word. It's going to be as embarrassing as Epic or based is in a few years, but it, it, it is it is a way of, like, it, it reminds me of, like, Red Sox fans before they won the World Series. If only this had been done. If only we'd used a different brand of fucking chewing tobacco in the dugout. If, you know, he didn't spit a sunflower seed at this angle at this time when the moon was in this fucking position. It, it, it's, if you were, you should, it's sad to look at these past two years. But if you are looking at them, you should go, holy shit, like. So much of what we thought was important and what we thought would play out was totally wrong. And we really have to rethink what does and doesn't work in getting these like uninitiated, non voting Americans. And if we're going to look at the Bernie campaign and like look at how they fucked up, if we're still doing that, um, I think you have to look at the people who actually worked on the campaign, a lot of whom have spent their entire fucking careers preaching to the choir Mm -hmm. and no one outside of it. And you have to look at those people and go, holy shit. And maybe think what I think or what we think and go, holy fucking shit. I maxed out to that. I still am glad I did. I don't regret anything we did for Bernie and any of the effort we put in or doors we knocked on, but like Jesus fucking Christ.
0: Yeah. I mean, Phyllis, you brought it up, but, um, if you are, if you're seeking uh, a a candidate and a message for um progressive politics, socialist politics, leftist politics, whatever you want to say in America, untainted from any problematic association, well, yeah, congratulations on the Elizabeth Warren campaign. It worked out. That worked out great, even better than Bernie did. You guys fucking killed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're mentioning uh like um like a uh, tailoring uh, political campaigns and messaging to uh like you know. Uh, online politics of the moment. Okay, how about this? 2024, uh, here's a perfect candidate, perfect message, perfect platform. Remember, remember when everyone got mad at Jen Psaki for saying that, what do you want us to do? Just send tests to everyone in America? Okay, she's going to hell for that. Yes. But we do need to send every American in the mail, via the post office for free, one of those cards you can give to a doctor before your checkup that says, don't
1: weigh me. <laughs> I mean, I, I I like just as an aside, uh, the fat activism stuff, there's some of it that I think is like absolutely paid by paid for by Archer Daniels Midland and Conagra, the type where it's like there's no such thing as junk food or like a food <laughs> desert. Some of it is like, you know, I feel for them because it is like, I you know, a lot of obesity, like probably most of it. Yeah, definitely is genetic. And it's the diet industry is horrible at all this shit but the stuff always makes me laugh because it's trying to create like an identity about being fat in a country where like most people are fat or at least you could, you could definitely describe it that way, but it's never like, you know, do you think of, do, who do you think won a majority of like morbidly obese people in 2016? I think I know who it was. <laughs> I think it was the big guy. Uh, who, 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 like a lot of Americans who are in bad shape are like, I'm not fat. I played college football 40 years ago. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, uh, you know, I mean, I want one of these cars because, you know,
0: I, I've, I've definitely gained weight since the last time I went to the doctor's office and I don't want to know about that shit.
1: My dick uh, got smaller. That's what my card <laughs> says. Don't measure. You, don't you hate it when your doctor measures your soft and erect dick? <laughs> <laughs> Made him stop doing that. I drank too much yellow five from Mountain Dew.
0: I'm starting a campaign right now to just turn off all of the unnecessary air conditioning in doctor's offices. That's not the way my dick and balls actually look. <laughs> I, I, just, like, I just did a polar bear
1: challenge before I got my dick checkup, okay? Don't put that in my medical file, all right? That's not real. Don't you hate it when your doctor who has like an unusually dry tongue just sticks his tongue down your throat to see if you have like a tonsil problem?
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah, the the, uh, the 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 Archer Daniels Midland thing is like... um. You know, like, like if 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 weight is like, I mean, like a genetic thing, which I mean, like in, I guess in some sense it is. I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about. But like, if that's true, then like the DNA of every American changed over the last 30 to 40 years, like like evolution in like rapid, rapid time frame here. And it's just like it's because of the bad food that we eat. And I'm not saying it's like eating bad food makes you like a morally bad person. But it is an issue of our food supply that is essentially poison. Right? Yeah. No, this issue fucking and like I, I eat it all the time too. You know. Yeah. So like we're all part. I mean, it's like good and bad food isn't like, like shouldn't, shouldn't these the, the people are right. It's, it's not a moral judgment, but it is. It's it's a factual one in that like the food you consume is, of uh you know is either of more or or of varying nutritional ba- value and uh,
1: to your body. Yeah. I mean in my best possible world the second thing we nationalize after the entire healthcare system would be like food production. Like Absolutely. I don't know how you can look at the last 40 years and think anyone has a right to, to do for-profit factory farming. Like this is again, yeah, this is you, you cannot fucking blame anyone for this. Like I completely agree with those people and some people are like more predisposed pre predisposed to uh Ha- like you know gain a lot of weight and have bad reactions to that shitty food than other people uh it definitely is genetic we're all eating the same slop uh but it is i don't look at it as a choice being made by americans i look at it as another thing being done to all of us no i mean like the choice is
0: being made by you know p- politicians and the people who own these companies and like the or the 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 regulators who make a choice to allow uh chemicals and you know corn slurry and like every food that we eat that's literally like you couldn't feed to livestock in Europe because yeah. they're because they, they have made different choices in, in their you know government regulatory bodies
1: yeah well with that note our upcoming tour is officially titled the I'm no longer fat tour <laughs> but wait this doesn't apply to me oh um, okay no, I Felix is no longer there. fat tour yeah the Felix is it's no called the fat
2: felix anymore. uh Felix from literature I'm no longer fat Tour. <laughs> you may know him
1: from contemporary literature it's Felix and he's not fat anymore yeah, i'm not I'm no longer it's not like twenty twenty when I got really fat I'm not fat anymore that's what the tour is about well uh, there we go um should we, should we, shall should we, should I transition into
0: the Steven Donsinger interview now <laughs> yeah at some have point Will, we well, you have
2: to ask him his interior design tips because <laughs> A guy who has spent that much time in his house has got to have picked up a thing or two about, like, how to, you know, uh, create the illusion of space, uh, maintain feng shui and all that. This shit looks Uh, good.
1: Like, he's obviously, like, it is a fucking crime that they have done this to him, and he should not be on house arrest. But, like, credit to Donziger, the man, and his family. Um, That place, like, they really made the most of it, you know? Uh, We were talking about a little bit before the show
0: started. Uh, One of the aspects, one of the things in the interview that I learned is that he was uh, furloughed from his actual prison sentence of six months. After like uh, 45 days, he was furloughed because the Bureau of Prisons were just like, uh, he's over 60, um, there's too many people in here already, and like COVID is spreading rapidly. So like, we're just gonna, we're just gonna like uh, send him back home, you know? And like Matt, you said, it was like, that's how fucking evil... Judge Preska and Rita Glavin the prosecutor are is that you said Strother Strother Martin from
2: fucking Cool Hand Luke is like this is a bit much don't you think (laughs) (laughs) we got a problem we got we got a uh, we got a failure to communicate here you're trying to kill a 60 year old man what are you doing it's like And by the way
0: he was the only one in Danbury prison for who was there for a misdemeanor
1: dude
0: (laughs) he was in in a prison and he was just there like oh what are you in for
1: like uh, you know, a contempt, ch- a misdemeanor contempt charge from a judge. It's like, do you know what prison staff do? Like, like, like they they do gladiator they, fights where they like yeah, bet on the outcome. They make inmates fight each other for the to the death because they're yeah. bored. And yeah. even they were like, are are you guys serious? Like, are you really <laughs> gonna like? To this, this seems cool in? and unusual. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the fucking. They'll just like beat an inmate to death like nearly to death and throw him in solitary and be like oh he like hit his head <laughs> and they're like this is ju- they're like this is just like a sweet old man like what are like, you are, are you, are doing? you okay? like are you okay dude yo we gotta get you out of here fucking god judge prescott hugs and right? smiles hugs and smiles hugs and smiles
0: <laughs> sending sending hugs and smiles a big smile well, uh, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm issuing the official Chapo Challenge coin to uh, you know repeat guest Stephen Donzinger. As you'll hear in the interview, uh, he's standing strong. His head's up. He's going to be a free man April 25th. So oh, yeah. without further ado, once again Stephen Donzinger back on the show. Cheers, guys. Cheers. <laughs> Okay, uh, joining me now once again is lawyer Stephen Donzinger, who is uh, now what, over 900 days of um, both in house arrest and then a 45 day stretch in prison. The last time I talked to you was right before your sentencing and uh, you were sentenced to sort of about what, a six six months stretch in Danbury Prison in Connecticut. Uh, Could you just talk about um, the circumstances that led to you being furloughed? and what your time in Danbury was like.
3: Well, it's great great to be with you again, Will, and thanks again for having me. I mean, first of all, let me just state at the outset, I'm a corporate political prisoner. I mean, I was charged with criminal contempt by a judge. The charge was rejected by the U.S. attorney. He appointed a private Chevron law firm to prosecute me, He appointed a friend to be the judge. I was denied a jury, and I was essentially railroaded with a contempt conviction because I refused to turn over my computer to Chevron, protecting privileged information. You know, owned by my clients down in Ecuador. So I believe this entire situation is unjust and it's on appeal. But the reality is, I have now served over 900 days in detention, some of that in a prison, most of that in my house with an ankle bracelet for a misdemeanor charge that has a maximum sentence of 180 days. I mean, it's the most extraordinary abuse of power by a corporation and its judicial allies that, frankly, I've ever witnessed. And, you know, although our criminal justice system, as people know, has many, many deep seated problems, um, this is a new one. I mean, this is essentially a private corporate prosecution intended to silence a lawyer, a successful human rights lawyer who helped indigenous peoples in Ecuador win a $10 billion pollution judgment against Chevron. That's why they're attacking me. So, having said that, the experience um, in prison, uh, it was unpleasant, uh, obviously. I mean, who wants to go to prison? Um, They furloughed me early. And by the way, I'm not free. I'm still detained at home under the custody of the Bureau of Prisons. But I think the reason they wanted me out early is because of my age. I'm 60 years old. Um, COVID was a real, real threat in the prison. Um, and they also saw that I was the only person there convicted of a misdemeanor. I mean, literally of 900 people in the men's side of that prison, there was also a woman's side. Every single one was convicted of some sort of felony. I was the only one convicted of a misdemeanor. They looked at my situation and they're like, this is crazy. And I think the staff said we got to get this guy out of here. Um, it was very clear the Bureau of Prisons function professionally. And, you know, unlike judges Kaplan and Presca, who sort of made this happen, was not willing to do the bidding of Chevron and and continue this campaign to try to you know really destroy me and destroy my reputation, which by the way I'll add I think has totally failed. But that's that was the purpose of it.
0: Um, and so like you, you were sentenced and then you had to drive yourself to Connecticut and turn yourself into the the Bureau of Prisons. And it was just like I, I remember thinking like when you were sentenced. I mean I mean it's all uh, it, it, it's all grotesque. But like did you? Have some feeling like of, I mean, if not relief, just a sense of like, at least, you know, there's an end date to when your detention, this, 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 this sort of limbo that you've been existing in for the, over two years now, um, like, like what, what did that feel
3: like? Well, look, I mean, you know, I was in indefinite detention prior to my trial. One of the weird anomalies, and I would say this is illegal under international law. Is that in the United States, when you're detained at home, it doesn't count toward your sentence. You know, and because of COVID and various delays that happened, I I literally was home two years and two months before I was able to have a trial, which is crazy. It's a misdemeanor. And I'm literally the only lawyer and individual in America with no criminal record ever locked up prior to trial and a misdemeanor for even a day. And I was locked up for over two years at home. So you know, at least now I'm home, it's counting toward my sentence, but I still maintain my sentence is illegal and I should be released immediately. Amnesty International has called for my immediate release, as have five jurists from the United Nations Working Group on Arbitrary Detention who looked at my case. So the U.S. is not in conformity with the law and the way I'm being treated. And we've called on Attorney General Garland and on President Biden to immediately act to take back this prosecution from the Chevron Law Firm, the name of which is Seward and Kissel, bring it into the, into the Department of Justice and dismiss the case and have me released immediately on the basis of these international decisions or at a minimum on the basis of the fact that I've already served my sentence five times over. I mean, this is an embarrassment for the United States of America. And I just tweeted, by the way, you can I'd urge people to follow this on my Twitter feed, at S. Donziger. But Secretary of State Blinken, you know, just yesterday tweeted for the Taliban to release an American citizen who they're holding Okay, total silence on the fact that an American human rights lawyer is being held illegally against his will right here in Manhattan. And it's hypocrisy. So I'm calling on President Biden and Secretary Blinken and the U.S. government as a whole to do something about this immediately.
0: Um, Yeah. I mean, like you're talking about uh, Blinken. And Biden, uh, their silence on your case, um, their inaction, their refusal to do anything. I mean, just um, just the other week, um, we learned that President Biden has named uh, a lawyer named Jennifer Reardon to be a federal judge. And now she was an she was a lawyer at Gibson Dunn, uh, who, you know, was basically what what was was her role in uh, your involvement in your case?
3: Yeah. So, so President Biden, I mean, this was kind of shocked me. He appointed a Chevron lawyer to the federal bench. Uh, Her name is Jennifer Reardon. She works at a law firm, Gibson, Dunn and Crutcher here in New York. I mean, they've been paid literally hundreds of millions of dollars by Chevron over the last 10 years to try to destroy the victory won by the indigenous peoples and farmer communities of Ecuador over Chevron in the court case including making up evidence against me as the lawyer for those groups down in Ecuador and orchestrating my detention. I mean, you know, they worked with the, That's that Chevron law firm worked with the second Chevron law firm appointed by the judge after my contempt charges were rejected by the U.S. attorney to lock me up. You know, so Jennifer Reardon um, has spent a good part of her career working in a group in that firm attacking indigenous peoples in the Amazon attacking human rights lawyers. And she's complicit in what I believe is a massive um, fraud perpetrated by Chevron to put illegal evidence into court in an effort to sort of keep me silenced and detained. So I don't understand why Joe Biden would purport to be, you know, to have a plan to deal with the climate crisis and appoint a pro-oil judge with a history of really being complicit in human rights violations, targeting indigenous peoples who are on the front, who are the frontline defenders of our planet. Um, It's really an abomination. By the way, I think part of the reason she was appointed is because Senator Gillibrand, uh, the New York Senator, has very close ties to her and was urging President Biden to do it. Reardon, the nominee, has raised a ton of money for Gillibrand and for Chuck Schumer, the firm has um and, and you know that's how they get support but i mean this is a, a slap in the face to all of us who care about climate and who care about environmental justice and human rights so i you know i've called in my twitter feed for president biden to withdraw the nomination and i think a lot of environmental groups are going to be are going to be doing the same
0: um, yeah like uh, i'm just uh, referencing it there's a there's a piece in the intercept um that uh has a uh Ah, uh, Gillibrand received uh, about one hundred and ninety thousand dollars from a Pack uh, Gibson Dunn's uh, pack. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, there you go. I mean, uh, uh, that's why you know the uh, you know you're you're a resident of the state of New York. That's why you know you're yeah you said you're a corporate prisoner being held you know prosecuted in New York. You're currently under house arrest in New York. Both senators, no politician from this state, d- Democratic politician. Has said or done anything, and I guess this is a follow the money situation. I mean, these these law these law firms have deep pockets.
3: Yeah, I mean, there have been people, Congresspersons, eleven of them actually, including Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, Cory Bush, Jim McGovern, Jamie Raskin, and others who have spoken out and demanded my immediate release, along with sixty eight Nobel laureates. What's shocking to me is my actual representatives, including the two senators and Jerry Nadler, the representative, have done nothing. They've not spoken out. They haven't visited me. I've been here over two years. Um, And I believe that they're just bought off by Chevron and by their law firm, Gibson Dunn. I mean, Gillibrand is heavily dependent on Gibson Dunn for campaign contributions. So is Senator Schumer. And Representative Nadler, I mean, that's just pathetic. I, I, you know, he, we tried, we sent him twenty four thousand emails asking him to speak out about a human rights violation happening to one of his constituents. He didn't do anything. We later found out his son is a partner an attorney in the Gibson Dunn law firm, and he's partners with Jennifer Reardon and the other lawyers who are profiting from attacking me and protecting Chevron's human rights abuses. So they're all. Hacks, in my opinion, caught up in a system that you know where they can so easily be bought off. I mean, it's so sad, but you know, I feel I know what's happening. I mean, it's it's obvious that you know Nadler, Gillibrand, Senator Schumer, um, they should speak out. They should do more. They're silent. It's you know, and they receive tons of money from the Chevron and its law firms.
0: Um, I want to get back to you know your your sentencing. And uh, the furlough, but, but in between there, the, the 45 days that you spent in Danbury prison in Connecticut, could you just like, uh, just let me like, what, what was like a day like in Danbury prison? Like, um, were the other inmates uh, aware of your situation? I mean, the, the surreality of you being there for a
3: misdemeanor? So the answer is over time most became very aware of my situation. I was getting a ton of letters from the outside because of Amnesty International. I was getting letters from all over the world and people wanted to know why I was getting so many letters and I told them my story. Um, and they have ways of checking out when an inmate tells a story they can check it out by asking people on the outside and you know people want to know each other's stories. so you know I, I you know I was treated with respect. Um, I thought, Frankly, there was more mutual respect among inmates on the inside than there often is among people on the outside. Um, the conditions were really difficult, largely because of the COVID problem. The prison was locked down. Of course, the lockdown seemed to relate more to staff convenience than to medical issues, in my opinion. But you know, we couldn't leave the unit except one time a week. Um, couldn't get outside. Uh, so it was tough. And also there was very little food um, and space, you know, and there was virtually no programs, no educational programs. I mean, you know, one thing I learned is if you want to get a college education in prison, it's impossible because all the free offerings in the various universities around the world, you can't get access to them because they don't allow you to get on the Internet. You know, so there's all these ways the Bureau of Prisons has to sort of control the carceral system and to manage it in the cheapest way possible and and there's very almost no resources devoted to serious programming and i saw a lot of people sitting around all day with nothing to do wasting away and i will say this the prison had 900 people i mean there were people in that prison convicted of very serious offenses but they had been in the system 15 20 25 years and they were on their way out and the prison i was in was a low security prison that was had a lot of people who were getting close to leaving. Um, And I was mixed up with, you know, some serious people who had served a lot of time. But I will say that my personal experience was positive. I found that everyone, you know, for the most part, treated each other with respect. People cared about each other. Um, You know, in a a system that really is designed to strip you of your identity and, and is quite brutal in many respects. There's so much humanity that bubbles up in response among the inmates themselves, you know, just the care they have for each other. Inmates help each other with legal briefs, um, with, with all sorts of issues, you know? So, you know, you have no cell phone, you have no internet, you know, in prison, you have to go the old fashioned and just talk to people and you get to know people and you can connect in that way. And, you know, I learned a lot, but it was unpleasant. Yeah.
0: Um, meanwhile, on the outside here i mean like what have i mean in the time that you've been um certainly uh under house arrest and then like since being sentenced what have um uh our, our old friends judge presca and your corporate prosecutor rita Glavin? uh what have they been up to since they sent you to prison because i'm uh, just one example here uh rita Glavin, uh the you know private attorney who is you know uh your prosecutor uh, has billed taxpayers about $640,000 for her work um, sending you to prison. And there are many more um, records of uh, the billing that uh, she has yet to disclose.
3: Well, that's a great question. I mean, I will say this for my, for the prosecution of me, Rita even and her law firm have billed not just 640. They probably billed over a million. They haven't disclosed all their invoices. So a misdemeanor usually costs about $5,000 to prosecute. They've spent 200 times the normal amount to go after me. Okay, let me just state that at the outset, and it was paid by taxpayers after the U.S. attorney refused to prosecute me. So think about that, Judge Kaplan, who went after me, appointed a private Chevron law firm to prosecute me, and had them paid from t- taxpayers, which essentially means taxpayers are funding an illegal prosecution that had been rejected by the normal federal prosecutor. Frankly, it's an outrage, and I think Glavin should and her firm should return every penny of that money. But on top of that million dollars, and James North just did a great article in the Nation about this. It turns out that the Gibson Dunn firm, the second Chevron law firm that's been targeting me for years, where Jennifer Reardon works as a partner, um, they they will they build Chevron literally millions of additional dollars to do Rita Glavin's work, like they were writing her briefs. They were helping her find documents. They were strategizing. everyone was
0: writing, Rita Glavin, your prosecutor's shoot they were writing her legal briefs
3: for I, your case. Well, I believe they were writing her briefs. I mean, Judge Prescott has refused to let us get discovery on how that really went down, but I am no fool. And when I saw the the highly sophisticated uh, briefs that Glavin was writing, I mean, Glavin, you know, was getting support from a major law firm, and I'm sure it was a Chevron law firm. Listen, the record in this case is millions of pages. The case has gone on 28 years, and there is no way Rita Gwaden could have possibly written some of the stuff that was being submitted to screw me. It was very clear the Chevron law firm, that you know the one that had been working on this for years, was behind it. And they admitted in court during my trial that they had been paid by Chevron. I mean, they had spent 132 hours The Chevron lawyers at Gibson Dunn meeting with Rita Glavin, preparing for my trial. I mean, Chevron financed and orchestrated this entire prosecution. That's why we say it was illegal and is the nation's first corporate prosecution. And by the way, it's a playbook for the fossil fuel industry. Kid yourself. Don't kid yourself because people who speak out and they, you know, often you can't get a public prosecutor to go after a guy like me because they know it's not just. The idea a judge can actually appoint a private law firm or or empower a private corporation like Chevron to deprive someone of their liberty in the name of the U.S. government. It's outrageous, but it's what happened in my case.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, it's like uh, to expand outward from uh, the ordeal that you're going through. I mean, once again, to uh, the the bigger picture of your clients, um, the people of Ecuador, uh, the, the judgment that you won against Chevron. Where like where does that stand and like what is what how does how does like the what does the larger picture look like to you now in terms of uh, human rights, environmental rights, and um, the efforts to hold um, companies like Chevron accountable for the I don't know environmental genocides that they perpetrate um, in, seek, in pursuit of profit.
3: Well, listen. Um... You know, Chevron's whole strategy was to distract attention from its massive environmental crimes called the Chernobyl of the Amazon in Ecuador by trying to get people to think about me and the lawyers. So I want to be very clear. This case is about the people of Ecuador and it's about the crimes Chevron committed in the Amazon that have literally killed thousands of people from cancer and other oral-related illnesses and have poisoned, you know… 1,500 square miles of rainforest in which about 100,000 indigenous people live. That's the fundamental problem. It's not anything having to do with me. Now, in terms of the case, I want to be very clear. My legal situation is distinct from that of the people in Ecuador who won the judgment against Chevron. They have their own lawyers who are researching places around the world to enforce that judgment such that Chevron is forced to comply with the rule of law. And the people of Ecuador who have been poisoned and harmed can receive compensation to clean up and remediate the environmental disaster that has existed down there, by the way, for 50 years. It's connected to my situation because I'm their lawyer and Sherman has tried to disable my ability to be an advocate by orchestrating this, you know, this unjust and baseless prosecution against me that's kept me in, in detention for almost three years. They're connected, but they're not one in the same The case in Ecuador, regardless of what happens to me, and I believe ultimately I will be out of this and soon because my sentence is about to end. They have their own team and they will be pursuing Chevron to the ends of the earth until Chevron complies with the law and pays the judgment they owe.
0: And again, just to reiterate, you, you won the case. You've already won. won no, matter the what, case. What, what, no matter what they've done to you or no matter how much they've, um, what they put you through or what they continue to deny or distract, you won the case, but Chevron has not paid the, the judgment that was levied against them.
3: That's exactly right. Instead, they paid literally billions of dollars to hire 60 law firms and 2,000 lawyers to attack the indigenous leaders in Ecuador and attack Stephen Donziger and other people And that's where Biden's judicial nominee, Jennifer Reardon, has profited because she's partners in a law firm that has had Chevron pay them literally hundreds of millions of dollars, in my opinion, to hide their human rights abuses in the Amazon, hide their destruction of indigenous ancestral lands, and hide their attacks, their their illegitimate illegal attacks on the advocates, the frontline defenders like myself who have held them accountable. That's what Jennifer Reardon is doing. She does not deserve to be on the bench. And I'm again, I'm perplexed as to why President Biden pointed her.
0: I mean, again, this is sort of like one of these uh, when I hear about it, I want to be like, explain this to me like I'm a third grader where it's like, OK, you've been um, in prison for three years now, and including actual prison, not just house arrest. How, how like Chevron, the case is over. They lost. How is, it that, how is it possible that they haven't coughed up even a cent despite the judgment levied against them?
3: Because they have decided it's cheaper to hire dozens of law firms, hundreds of lawyers to just file motions and grind down our team in what's called post-judgment litigation. And you know, it's a classic corporate defense strategy. You see this now in a lot of the climate cases that the municipalities have been filing. Um, there's one case that's 20 years old, you know, against Exxon out of Indonesia that is going to trial finally this year in Washington, D.C., a major human rights case against Exxon. So, you know, the, the corporations are used to laundering their unethical activities through big law firms. They pay them tons of money to complicate matters and to delay matters so they don't have to actually pay the people they poisoned and the people they harmed. And these law firms to be held accountable. They need to be called out. Ted Wells, for example, is a partner at um, Paul Weiss. He represents Exxon, made tens of millions of dollars in fees, not more. Randy Mastro, Ted Boutros at Gibson Dunn, same thing. And you see the same big law firms representing the big fossil fuel companies in all the lawsuits. And it makes it really, really difficult for Environmental groups for vulnerable communities, or even for state attorney generals to hold them accountable because they just delay, 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 delay. And judges generally are now, you know, our federal judiciary has gone so far to the right, it's very difficult for the judges to hold these, these abuses of power accountable. So, you know, that's why it takes so long. And that's why I'm, I've been working on this case 28 years, by the way. And I, I don't want people to think we failed, we won the case. And the process of winning, we've held Chevron accountable to a great degree. They've had to spend a lot of money to deal with us, but the people of Ecuador still have not recovered the funds that they're owed.
0: I mean, one gets the impression that yeah, like they've made this calculus that it's cheaper to just keep spend keep paying lawyers to just grind out this war of attrition, but one gets the impression that they would. Spend the exact, They would spend $9 billion on lawyers to avoid paying the $9 billion that they owe to Ecuador based on the principal alone.
3: I think that's correct. And I want to tell you the logic behind that, okay, in my opinion. They know they've done this in multiple places around the world. And they know once one place recovers the funds, they're going to have a massive liability, additional liability around the world in multiple places. So, they overspend in the first lawsuit our lawsuit our successful lawsuit as a way to discourage these other lawsuits from happening
0: so yeah you're, you're under house arrest now but I, I did see on your Twitter account the other day you did get the you did get the opportunity to leave your house to go to the Bronx and submit a piss test to the <laughs> Bureau of Prisons
3: yeah I mean they, so, I mean
0: like that, that's what it's like when I mean you were still you know under the management of the Bureau of Prisons they can drug test you at any time.
3: That's true. Uh, I mean, at we least you sick, my... uh,
0: like a subway trip uh, uptown.
3: Yeah. You know, and it's, it's really unbelievable. I mean, I, I, they're testing me for drugs. I'm 60 years old. I'm not a drug user. I was not convicted of a drug offense, but you know, it's all about control. It's mm-hmm. about reminding you, you're not free. It's a psychological game to some degree. Um, and it's ultimately very dehumanizing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can deal with it. I mean, I'm not, complaining that I mean I, I'm complaining about my situation, but like it's fine. Like it's just how that their bureaucracy that they set up works. It's a bureaucracy of control. And yeah, I mean I got called at 11 p.m. Friday night. They said you got to come in tomorrow to give a urine, you know, a piss test. And they can do that any day, anytime. They can call you up any hour of the day 24-7 and demand you come in, by the way, to the halfway house, which is a private place that has a contract with the Bureau of Prisons. And the Bureau of Prisons uses them to monitor people in home confinement who are in Bureau of Prisons custody. So they visit my house. Um, you know, they monitor me, they make me do check ins, they'll call me up, I have to send a selfie to prove I'm home and, and that kind of thing. I want to be clear, though, the staff of the halfway house are really nice. I mean, they're good people who work hard, and they try to do their jobs according to the policies and systems created by the Bureau of Prisons. So I'm not blaming them. They're actually very lovely people. But the system itself is designed to just crush people with control.
0: Yeah. I mean, if I'd been in my apartment for three years, I would be uh, hoping to get a call for a drug test every other day just to, <laughs> just to get out of the house. But, I know. Um, uh, just the, uh, I guess my last question for you is like uh, there, there is now for the first time in a long time for you, there is kind of like there, there is a set date that, that ends your detention. And that is what, about six months from now? No, my brother. Okay.
3: Three okay. months from now, it's Three April months. 25th. Okay, April twenty fifth.
0: April twenty fifth. So you got that date. You got that circled on the calendar. We're gonna, we're gonna have
3: a, you know, we're gonna have a big celebration on the yeah. Show on my apartment.
0: No, yeah, I, I, and I guess like I, you know, uh, during this, this, this whole, uh, you know, Kafka esque the trial or whatever. I mean, you've done an astonishing job of, you know, advocating for yourself for your clients. Um, you know, getting, getting this, you know, rather astonishing story out there. Um, despite the, by the way, complete, almost complete blackout from any major or mainstream news source. I'm just, yeah. Like I'm wondering a party at your house. I mean, like, what do you plan to do April 25th or April 26th? You know, like what the ideal what?
3: is to celebrate as a form of expressing my appreciation to the thousands of people around the world who stood by me, the Ecuadorians and my family, um, this has been a hell of an ordeal. I mean, you know, look, I'm strong. I'm resilient. I, I'm, I'm making the most of it. I'm, I'm still working out of my home. But like, you know, I can't deny that it's been really tough. So we're going to celebrate um, and express appreciation. And My hope to just invite everyone to my house and we're going to do a block party on the street below and dance and, you know, create strength and energy for the battles ahead. This is not over. You know, they could still attack me personally. We, the Ecuadorians and their legal team, have more work to do to make sure Chevron pays up and lives are saved. You know, this is not the Steven Donziger game. Okay. It is a humanitarian crisis in the Amazon. Hundreds of people have cancer. Thousands have died. Thousands more will die unless something is done. And Chevron has not paid a damn penny. And I will say, BP, by the way, has paid almost seventy billion dollars to, you know, as compensation and fines for the Gulf of Mexico spill in 2010. Chevron hadn't paid a penny for a much larger spill in a much more delicate ecosystem, but they did deliberately to save money, and paid a penny to the people of Ecuador. So we need to solve this problem. And American companies, particularly fossil fuel companies need to be held accountable for their acts of pollution all over the world. It's not just Ecuador, it's many, many places. This is a hell of an accomplishment by the Ecuadorian indigenous communities and the farmer communities and their legal team to win this judgment. It's epic, it's historical, let's celebrate it, let's appreciate it. And Even though they haven't actually collected on it yet, the fact is Chevron has been driven so crazy by the existence of this judgment that they hired 60 law firms and 2,000 lawyers and spent probably a billion dollars plus in legal fees to deal with it. That is major accountability. Okay, They're not going to do this again so easily next time, nor nor will other big oil companies. So I just want to take a step back and say, despite the ordeal that I'm in and the fact there's more work to do, the historic accomplishments of these people down in Ecuador needs to be noted, celebrated, appreciated, and made known all over the world.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I, that to me is, uh, you know, uh, the, the most uh, admirable and, and kind of like uplifting uh, element of your story here. I, but, but everything you've gone through is that it has backfired on Chevron, Chevron and, and their law firms, because clearly you are not broken. And I guarantee there are way more people who are aware of what they did and what they've done to you because of the actions that they've taken. I mean, again, it's not over. They have not been held accountable in any regard, but they have not succeeded in uh, breaking you or your determination or just sweeping you under the rug.
3: That's that's so true, Will. And you know, I'll, I will say this, I salute you and other podcasters and independent media outlets for keeping this story alive. I mean, the New York Times has totally ignored this story, a massive human rights violation by a, by a lawyer In its own city, I'm a 30-minute walk from their newsroom. They've never written a story about me. Um, While people like you and others have put it out there, and the support we're getting is phenomenal. By the way, if people want to learn more, please go to the website, freedonziger.com, F-R-E-E-D-O-N-Z-I-G-E-R. You can donate money to our legal defense fund. We're urging people to donate. Um, Right now, we have a matching donor up to $100,000 until the end of the month, which is tonight at midnight, I don't know when this is actually going to run, but in any event, we're urging people to give. and even if you can't give, I know times can be tough right now with, for some people, join our campaign anyway. give us your email and you'll get regular case updates. Again, it's free Donziger.com. By the way, our campaign has developed almost into a movement. I mean, we literally have 90,000 people around the world who have signed up over the last two years. Um, you know, it's shocking, but by locking me up, they have forced us to organize better. And the amount of support we're getting is moving, it's touching, it's, and we're trying to harness it, you know, to make Chevron be held fully accountable, but also take on some other broader human rights and climate issues.
0: Well, uh, Stephen, once again, freedonzinger.com, that information will be in the episode description of this episode. It will be out this evening. Um, I, would last thing, uh, I grew up on the Upper West Side. My mom still lives on the Upper West Side. April 25th, April, whenever the party is, I would love to come through to the oh, block yeah, party. I'll, got I'll, bring to... some, I'll bring some Zabar's treats for everyone. <laughs>
3: Zabar's and maybe a little Barney Greengrass. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, I'd love to see you then, obviously. And thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Steven, once again, th- thanks for your time. And thank you for, uh, you know, standing up, staying strong.
3: Appreciate it, Will. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: When I think it's best to move away, do you hear what I say from under my brother Tonight is gonna be
3: a jailbreak.